Hi, I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. In this episode of Behind the Beef, we were joined by Peter Collins. Peter is a producer who hails from central Victoria. Peter has a connection with the Angus breed that spans his entire lifetime. He is principal of the Marydale Angus Stud, which consists of 320 hectares, including a seed stock and commercial cattle enterprise and a 350 cow dairy. Until 2001, Peter was the co-principal of the well-known Mary Grange Angus Stud. He also had many years experience in the pig industry as a breeder, an exhibitor and a judge at major shows. Peter is a current Angus Australia board member and is a member of Angus Victoria. He has had a long affiliation with the Angus Youth Program, continuing to support the Roundup annually through his family's Marydale Aspiring Breeder Award. He was awarded the Stewart Award in 2023 in recognition to his contributions to the program. Peter has joined Behind the Beef to speak about his history with the Angus breed, his family's operations, his love for supporting the youth in the industry and plenty more. Let's jump into our chat now. Alrighty, well, thank you for joining us, Pete. For the listeners who have tuned in today, can you just give us a little background on yourself? Tell us who you are and where you're from. Peter Collins, located in northern Victoria, a um, little place called Tennyson, near Echuca, in, sort of in between Echuca, Bendigo and Rochester type thing. Nice. So what's your background in the industry and how long have you been in the industry for? I've been in the Angus industry all my life. My dad started his study in 1959 and I was born in 1960, so... Well, uh, literally your whole life. Uh, yeah, whole, <laughs> my whole life. And... Um, Done a lot of different things on our uh, on our property because my dad was a stud farmer and he had stud sheep, stud pigs and stud cattle and uh, sort of done a lot, I suppose. Yeah, looked after every sort of animal and yeah, I suppose that's, uh, he taught me a lot. Yeah, so yeah. you've touched on your father and obviously your business is a generational one. So can you give us a little bit of backstory into the history of your family business? Well, you've touched on how long they've been involved in the Angus breed, but sort of your Angus story, if you will. I started sort of getting really interested in the cattle, I suppose, when I was about 22, I suppose. I, I used to uh, manage the piggery on, on our home property uh, because I had uh, two older brothers that were home on the property and one done the cattle and one done the sheep and, and we all had our expertise type thing. But, you know, as we get older type thing, Dad made us to diversify and, and go into each one and uh, one brother left home and... Then another brother left home and sort of I was the oldest son at home type thing. So got into Angus and and, uh, and breeding and genetics and all the things I love. And and now I suppose um, my son's just come home in the last two years, um, Brody. He, um, I didn't want him to come home straight from school. I made him to go to college and he sort of drove in one side of college and out the other side <laughs> after two weeks and, and got a job as an electrician. So he was an electrician for nine years and then one day he said to me, Dad, I want to come home. Come home with his wife and, and now he's got two little kids. And so the generations have uh, uh, started again. But he's, he loves the Angus cattle and loves the farming life. So it sort of gives you a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a kick yeah. when, when they come home and... 
and you get you know you get a bit of a rush and you know he's interested in, in all his genetics and breed plan and yeah um genomics uh, and all of a sudden you know you're off running again and yeah, it's quite exciting. We're in exciting times at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Must be handy having a Sparky on board too, just yeah, in case. Yeah, well, he immediately handed his licence. He said, he said, Dad, I'm not doing any Sparky work for you. I've still got a higher one. So oh, really? not, Yes. <laughs> I still have to hire one. So, no, uh, yeah. But anyway, it's um, he's got enough to do without that anyway. So, yeah. So, what is your business, I guess, Marydale, and how does it operate? Well, we run about 200 Angus cows, all registered. Uh, all HBR, oh, there might be one APR or two APRs, but nearly all HBR cows. Solely for seed stock producing, we sell 95% of our bulls to to breeders, not necessarily Angus breeders, but all types of breeders, if you understand what I mean. The bottom end of the females get sold off each year, and probably the 25% of them, and uh, we, we retain the others. So... Um, don't have big female sales we just feel that if they're not good enough for me they're probably not good enough for any other stud as well so we just sell elite females in our sale each year and 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 about 40 bulls so hmm. yeah so for you why do you choose angus what's the driving factors for you guys going into angus and that being your bread and butter essentially well i'm probably a good man to ask this question because (laughs) My dad was one of the first instigators of importing Semental cattle, and we had Semental cattle, and we had Charolais cattle. We went we one of the early ones into Charolais. And it just come down to the fact that Angus were just, they're easy care cattle. We, you know, we, we make them, they have their calves, they rear their good calf. We just move on. We don't have the trouble we had with the other breeds. I don't know how this is going to go on a podcast, but... <laughs> We don't we don't have the um, early troubles that the Sementoles and and the Charolais had. They're, they're great breeds now, of course, but gee, the amount of calves we pulled uh, out of those other breeds were just incredible, and, and, and the trouble we had. So, but Angus, you know, they have a calf. They milk well. They're structurally correct. Yeah, that's that's why. I love Angus. Yeah. When it comes to your herd, are there any particular management practices or philosophies that you implement in your business? One big thing that I've been taught right from the start from my dad, you breed females and the rest will take care of yourself. It's very simple. Too many people go into this breed trying to breed the elite bull with a huge EMA and uh, massive IMF, big growth rates and all those things. But it's just they're not uh, consistent enough. You breed good females and keep breeding good females, the bulls will just happen. And they do. They just happen. They mightn't have the elite genomic data that we're all after, but they're good bulls. They're good, sound, easy-to-sell bulls. And they stack up because their consistency of all their dams and their grand dams and their great-grand dams and just stack up. And you've got that consistency of females in your background type thing. Your bulls just happen. And, and they just yeah regularly have good good bull calves because your females yeah just something simple yeah but yeah and i'll stick to that one as long as i live so yeah Mm. in saying that is there any kind of genetics that you are looking for or traits that you look for that are important to you when you're selecting those sort of bulls to go with those females oh you must have some neck some femininity up front you keep your thickness behind 
the A shape, I suppose, the A shape, where we're, 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 we're good through the front end, we're thick through the back end, we've got plenty of milk and we're sound. They're three, yeah, three massive traits that I, yeah. I firmly believe that our good females there. Yeah. Yeah. You still got to have a bit of growth too. Yeah. Mm. What are the target markets essentially for your business? Where do you find that your bulls are going into? Um, over the last five years, we've probably sold into studs. And our stud sale, we'd have uh, around that 35 to 40 bulls. I think probably six to seven would go into studs and the rest would go into commercial herds. And I've got some great commercial buyers that will pay good money for good bulls because they know they've been stacking up for years and yeah. years. So um, that's where we that's where we saw it. And that elite female part we have in our sale, well, they're usually embryo heifers that we've we've got sisters of. We put out there, and you know, and they they make good money. They do, but they are they're elite of our out of our female yeah. herd. Yeah. yeah. And when you're looking at where they land in Australia, is there sort of a particular area that you find most of your clients fall into? Or is it a bit of a spread on them? No, it's pretty widespread. Yeah. We, you know, we had cattle go from Tasmania up to Glen Innes last year across to South Australia. So there's no real rhyme or reason. I don't know. Yeah. But they certainly, yeah, they go everywhere. So hmm. Fabulous. And so for you, what are the key drivers of production or success in your herd? What do you highlight as those really important things for your herd? Structural soundness. That's good feet, walking ability. Yeah, that's all I can really, yeah. Structural soundness and you find all those other things... Fall into place. Just fall into place. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, what are some challenges that you find that you experience in your business, whether it's environment, location, that kind of thing? The environment's probably a big one in our in our business because um, in those summer months we really struggle for feed. So we've gone from back in when I was young and Dad was farming that uh, we were irrigating. We we got irrigation on our farm and irrigation water has become really expensive now, and we just don't get the growth in the summertime out of it. So we sort of let the farm go dry in the summertime. So we actually. Most of our feeding is in the summertime. So we grow some summer crops like some maize and, and, and corn and things like that and it's loosened to, to and irrigate that because it's, you know, it's more profitable uh, with the water we use. You, know, you start to grow ryegrass and pasture, well, it's just not profitable to do it because the water is so expensive. That's the biggest challenge. And, and new varieties and things like that, like yeah, we all love our... Um, I love playing around with grasses and corn and things like that to, yeah. yeah, and doing trials on that to see which we get the best use out of. Yeah, and see what comes off best yeah, out of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when you look forward to the future of your business, where do you hope to see it in the future? So do you have any long-term goals, short-term goals for the business? I suppose a long-term goal, and my wife will probably belt me over this one, but I'd love to see my son or if my other son comes home Oh, my daughter wants to come back to the farm and, and they're still running the farm and still growing like Maria and I have been able to do. Like, uh, yeah, she's um, been the backbone of what well, I've done and we started with not much and, and uh, people challenge that because my dad was Phil Collins but he made us earn everything and uh, what we've done so far and, and now Brody will hopefully do the same thing. He'll grow and... Yeah. The second part of my question was, how does the family dynamic play into that? So I think that answers yeah, that pretty yeah. well. You know, and Brody's son, Eddie, he's only two, but, you know, he's 
He's out in the side by side with Brody at the moment, going around cows. He he's got toy tractors. He he just wants to have a go. Yeah, hopefully we've got a farmer. You never know these days, do you? you yeah. Don't know. He's only two at the moment, but no, he's uh, just loves it. Yeah. Which is yeah. And then my dad's still alive. He's ninety five and uh, ninety four. He still loves to come out to the farm yeah. and. And Brody puts him on the side by side with him, and he drive drives out. Then Brody he gets on the side by side with Brody, and he takes him. Pa, let's go look at the bulls, and, and my dad still loves that, and, and that gives me so much joy. Like yeah, to exactly. see them two, you know, going around the bulls together, arguing about who's the best and who's not the best, and you know, and and then Brody will say, um, "Oh, this might be out of the Vicky cow," and then it might be the best in Pa's eyes because that was his favourite cow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah no, it's uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall on those conversations just through the generational difference yeah, in that. So yeah. like your father would have seen Angus cattle in all sorts of shapes and sizes and different types all the way through to now. So it'd be interesting to hear the yeah, we, sort of we, difference we, between that. We just done a video the other day on, on Dad. We just, while he was still very smart and still with it and all yeah. that sort of thing. And we my Brody come up with the idea of let's do a video on him and a, a bit of a podcast, I suppose, and, and video on him as well. And to ask him all those Angus questions and gone through the years when he first started when they were really small and dumpy, thick cattle. And, yeah. And then they went to that big, tall, rangy, Americanized cattle. And, yeah. And now they've come back all the way back down again now. And and he's gone through it all. Yeah, exactly. And, and seen it all. Yeah. And the bulls he, he raved about that were good back in those days and they'd be no good now. Yeah. You know, that you know they, they just haven't got the data or... Or all the stuff we're after. They, they probably have structural correctness because he was really hard on that. But yeah. it was actually quite amazing. All the family names he rattled off, and yeah. the Vickies and the Wilcoolers and and the Esters and the Janes, all you know, all come from him. All started, and you know, we see Wilcoolers right around Australia now, coming back through it, and and, and the Vicky line, and they all started with Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. must make you proud. It does. Oh, I still remember actually going to. Um, Going to the uh, Kiton sale yards to buy Will May Takula for $1,200. And she was the instigator of the Will Coolers. We called her Will Cooler uh, after that and it just grew. Grew and grew and grew. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Just amazing. Amazing. So, mm. And I guess for you, outside of the business that you're running day to day, how are you involved in the agricultural industry? We'll talk a bit about it later on, yeah. but yeah. We also run a 270-cow dairy farm that has to be done in the morning and night every day. Brody's sort of uh, heavily involved in that one as well, probably more involved than I am nowadays. But, yeah, it's a big part of growing feed, uh, getting up early, going to bed late, all those sort of things. Um, yeah, that, that's another part of industry. Just to diversify a little bit. Yeah, it, I was you about know. to say, how and, important and, 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 is And that? even now, like, the, the milk price is fantastic. Yeah. It's propping up the beef job. Yeah, I was about to say, how important is that diversity to you guys in your business? Oh, massive. Yeah. yeah it's a massive, massive thing. And, you know, they're on one farm and all the beef are on the other farm, but it's still, yeah, it's a massive part of our day-to-day life. And, yeah, it's got to happen yeah. every day. Is it Brody that has the cactus as well? No, that's 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 me that had the. Oh, cactus. you had the cactus yeah. as well. So that's another interesting part. Well, of the that, that was a, a farm we bought two years ago that uh, Maria and I bought. Was known as a Tennyson cactus farm. Yeah. Massive tours used to go through there all the time, and the botanical gardens from Melbourne 
came up and got, oh, I don't know, probably a hundred different varieties of cactus uh, from all over the world, they tell me they're from. And they've made, if you go, if you're ever in Melbourne, go to the arid, arid gardens, in, in the botanical gardens in Melbourne, and it all come from our farm. Oh, like, wow. It's, it's massive. It yeah. is massive. And these cactuses from, you know, uh, three metres wide oh, to 30 foot tall. Holy moly. Massive, yeah, yeah, all different types, and it's a bit wild and woolly at the moment because I've sort of don't do much with it. But yeah. um, we get lots of people trying to call in and and take cuttings from them and all that. Yeah, and right. I, I could probably get a bulldozer and bulldoze them all, but <laughs> anyway, that's just a, <laughs> just something else. Yeah, <laughs> just something else. But yeah, I haven't got time to muck around with them. The tear truth. Yeah, fair mm. enough. And I guess just in terms of your businesses and that side of things, what do you think has been the biggest challenge that you've faced in your career in that sense? And how do you overcome it and then learn from it? Probably the biggest challenge is when Maria and I first started. Money was tight, you know, it was really tight. And um, Maria had to go back to work. Uh, she's a school teacher. When my youngest boy was four, I think, Jesse was four. But that monetary side of things helped us grow we had to uh pay off our farm we, we our first farm type thing and um we did that she's still teaching today and uh down to two days a week officially from yesterday type thing she's just cutting down looking after grandkids now rather than teaching mm-hmm. uh, but now we own seven farms yeah so with her yeah that that tough time at the start was the I guess the it's hardest. the sacrifices really you make early yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Work hard, sacrifices a lot, a lot of family sacrifices too. And yeah, hopefully we can make it easy for our children. Yeah. Which we are. We're trying to. Yeah. Mm. Moving on to sort of another thing that you do, you're an accomplished cattle judge. Right. So, so what are some standout judging memories over your judging career? I've been one of the lucky ones. I, I started judging when I was reasonably young. I done a a Victorian Angus judging school. Yeah. Which doesn't happen anymore, but I'd I'd probably love to do one just to see how that would go. But maybe I'll do it if I get enough interest from it. I, I would do it at home. Um and I won it. And that day we judged bulls, heifers and cows and calves and steers. Four four lots. And I won it and which got me a few country jobs and then it snowballed. Yeah, I just love doing it. The best jobs I've had, probably the best job I've had is um, doing the Angus at Sydney. Yeah. The Black Angus and then the Red Angus feature at Sydney. The Sydney ones are big because I, I think I can say this, well, I am doing the limousines at Sydney this year. Mm-hmm. And the other big one, I suppose, was the Charolais at Ecker, where there was up to 40s in classes. and Massive. Yeah. Massive. Um Loved the challenge. Had some good coaching from different people. My dad and fellows like to Jack Woodburn and uh, they would ring me up and say, you know, just tell me honestly how I went and, and, and practice. But I love doing it, but they've been some massive jobs. And also probably if a little place like Rochester rang me up to do a judging job, I say yes every time. I, even if the smaller show rings me up, if I can make it, I will do it yeah. within within reason. Like I'm not going to travel, you know, 500 cases to do a judge ten head. But, yeah, but, but but just you know, anywhere in Victoria, I, I, I would travel to, just so I can, uh, 
suppose improve myself. Yeah. And put myself out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've had clients actually buy bulls off me because they've seen me judge. Yeah. They said, I love the way you judge. I love the cattle you put up. You must have some good cattle. So that's that's a yeah. pleasing aspect too. But yeah, no, I, I really love doing it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it gets you out there and having a look at what's out there too, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 In terms of that, so what benefits to your own production do you think that judging gives you and how is it commercially relevant for you? Um, only that fact I just said about you get occasional buyer that yeah. Yeah, likes the way you judge. Probably not a lot. It's more a self a self yeah. thing that, you know, it's call it selfish, maybe it is, I don't know, but I just, just love doing it. Enjoy and, it. And the people, the people you meet is, the, is that's the best thing. The people you meet at the shows and and the friends and, and uh, all different people and just yeah. just great to get around them and, yeah, it's my outlet. Yeah. I just, a bit off topic, how you mentioned just in your previous answer about, say, the Eka where you've got how many head up there. How do you get yourself in the mind frame? Do you find yourself sort of just calming down and having a look and taking in everything that it is? Are you very structured in the way that you do it? Obviously, I, I, most I, are, I, but... I, I am structured now, yeah. very much structured now on how I, how I do it. But when that first class hit me in Eka, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. I had no idea. No idea. I thought, oh, yeah, it'd be 8 or 10 maybe, but they just kept coming. They <laughs> just kept coming. Yeah. Um, to the point where I suppose... I was starting to think at the end now, I remember those three or four real good ones up the front. Goodness me, where are they now? Yep. <laughs> yep. So in that first class, I don't know if any breeders out there could remember this, but I actually started it again. Oh, really? And we done another lap and I drafted them as they went round. The good ones went one way and the other ones I wasn't interested went straight on. Yeah. And then in the end I had those 10 or 15 and then I judged them. So that's yep. the way... So now I always ask before I start a judging class, how many's in the class? Yeah. So I can draft them. So you yeah. can get your mindset going yep. and go, yep, yep. right, I will do. Yeah, yep. we'll do a draft. Yeah, yep. right, So have you judged internationally? No. No, you haven't. No. Is that oh, something that, you'd that, like that, to do? That, that would be a, um, yeah, that would be a massive, massive thing if that ever happened. But no, I haven't had the, had the chance. Um, yeah. Put it on the bucket list. Put it on the bucket list, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I guess... Just in terms of, you know, what you've said already about how it is for you and how you find that it's an enjoyable outlet for yourself, why would you encourage young people to delve into the world of junior judging? Yeah, I've done a lot of junior judging over the years and the thing I tell them is when you're judging, you're always right. That That's a massive... The confidence it gives you, uh, the public speaking abilities you get the more you do the better you get it grows you in confidence um a lot of the junior judges get wound up about oh have i put that one up but you've put that one up well no that's not that's not the issue at all if you can explain to me why you did it you get massive points from me and and junior judging is um oh judging it's a it's it's a a really good life And, and and so many kids want to do it these days like my son just come back from Scottsdale in Tasmania and he had to junior judge 40, 40 kids in a little country show. Well, isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Like junior, junior kids just wanting to get out there get and out junior and judge and, and talk about it. And, you know, and, and if we're teaching them the finer points of judging, well, isn't that going to tell them when they, actually, when they start their own 
enterprise. Yeah. Which are the better ones and which which yeah. ones? So they don't run in that trap of buying a bull with ordinary feet or buying a bull with one testicle or yeah. not a big enough hind quarter. If we can actually teach these young people how to do this. Um, it's those hope, fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. the fundamental, fundamentals of all cattle breeding. So hopefully they'll be better cattle breeders in the future. Yeah. Hmm. Well, leading into the next couple of points that I've got, it's, you know, starts at the beginning, doesn't it, when they're young and sort of giving them those tools yeah, to be yeah. able to continue on. But you've been a long-time supporter of the Angus Youth Program as well as just youth in the industry in general. So can you explain the reasoning behind the development of the Mary Dallas Buying Breeders Award, which is available at Roundup every year to a young person who's taking part in the program or in the event? Yeah, no, it's it's something we've done in uh, one of our Roundup committee members, Amy Bolton, come to me and ask me what I, back when she was young, she's still young, don't get me wrong, Amy, but she said, would you donate a heifer? And I said, certainly, fingers use. But we worded it a bit differently to it's an aspiring breeder award. We don't look after our kids, sorry, our young breeders. We mightn't have an industry at the end here. Like it, it's, it's so hard for youth to get into farming now. But if I can, sorry, if we can get, give a heifer to a young person that it's called a sparring breeder because my son would never be able to get it because I am got enough heifers at home that he'd be supported. Yeah. But a young cattle person that hasn't got a lot of backing, loves the industry, loves the cattle, don't say that we've got a paddock that can run a heifer. And maybe two years down the track, he has to sell it, I don't know. But maybe that buys him a car. Maybe that car can get him to a farm somewhere where we can we can do it. Yeah. Wow. I've achieved something. Now I hope he breeds. I hope he breeds with it and get you know bigger and bigger. It's not all about the ongoing sales yeah. with with us at all. It was more about if I can help one of those breeders that just hasn't got the backing or or the or the a bit like the. Parents that drop the kid off at footy training and never see him, doesn't come sad days, just yeah. drops them off. I'm not saying the parents do this either, but they haven't got financial backing or they haven't got whatever. Yeah. If they're willing to have a go, they're a good person, I'm interested in talking to them and supporting them. And, you know, and I still get a lot of these kids that uh, have bought heifers off me, ring me up. I had to sell her. Mine died. Yeah. Overfit it with grain, then I get a photo of a cow that the heifer that's calved, and now I get a photo of a big calf at foot, and you know how good's that? That's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah. yeah, you know, just interaction with them, and if I can help them out with breeding and all that, just so yeah. just ring me. I just love talking to the young people. And it's also like your sort of touch. It's the contact that then they have as well of someone with a lot of knowledge in yeah. what they want to do it's ex- giving them that support and experience yeah. like it's yeah. yeah it's a it's a yeah it's a um I lo- yeah i just love it and and you know oh, we're coming up to armadale again no to tamworth yep this in uh in january so book me flights already to come up and we'll pick out another one and we've changed it a bit around over the years we used to pick out a heifer and, and just say um you know you uh this is it yeah but now we actually get them to come home and we give them a group of heifers to pick a heifer. Oh, really? So 
they get the experience of judging a bit themselves, and it's, it's their pick, not yeah. not mine, not Brody's or, or, or whatever. It's it's you know there's there's four or five heifers. You take whichever one you want. Yeah. There's the breed plan data. There's the there's the breeding of them. Yeah. You have a go. And when you're at Roundup and you're looking at the people that are there or the young potential people that would be a recipient of the award, sort of what kind of person are you looking for to give that opportunity to? I know you sort of have a bit of a selection process, I'm sure, but what are you kind of looking for in that person? Is there a particular... I rely, I rely um, heavily on the um, handler judges. Yep. They will, I'll go and see them. Usually they're, they're pretty solid They've been doing it for a fair few years. And I'll go and see them. If you get it the right age person that suits the mate suit, suit it, that's doing a really good job for the three days, give me the name and we go and interview them. And yeah, like the, the boy won last year, uh, Darby McLaren. Like, honestly, you couldn't beat, meet a better kid. Like, rings me up. He come and help me at Melbourne Show. Yeah. I offered him a job at Melbourne Show. Actually, I've him a job just now, permanently. But oh, good. <laughs> How good's that? Yeah, because I'm after a staff member now. But, yeah, it's just a yeah, just great person, a great yeah. people's person, works hard, uh, helps the younger ones. Yeah. Good team person. And that's, yeah, that's what we're after. Those, yeah. those sort of kids. I mean, yeah, everyone knows the ones I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess it's just that's a perfect example of, what that kind of opportunity can give someone is yeah. the fact that now Darby's got you as a contact and yep. he's got the drive to want to keep being involved and keep doing it. Like yeah. it could be really that thing that gets somebody that real fire in their gut to really yeah. give it a go. Oh, and he has, he really yeah. has. And um, when he's heifer carved, sends me a photo of the heifer calf and now it's grown up and he sends these photos and his halter broken it. And, yeah. and his big thing is next year, this calf is going to go to the roundup. Yeah. And this and is it's this, just the it's a big circle. Yeah, the continuing yeah. cycle. Yeah, and you must get a kick out of that. Oh, yeah, there's nothing better than it's even better than winning yourself. Yeah, if you, animal you you give away, imagine that. I just couldn't think of anything better. Anything better? Yeah, exactly. Than, than that. Yeah, you were also recently the recipient of the Stewart Award, which is given to somebody who's been a contributor and a supporter of the Angus Youth Program over a number of years. And it's recognising your contributions to the Angus Youth, which you've touched on. What did receiving that award mean to you? Uh, I got really emotional that night. <laughs> it's, it did throw me. Yeah, it was just, I don't know why. I don't know why I got emotional, but it's, 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 it's just a heifer. Like, we give a heifer away to a young person that we're going to help. It's just one out of the whole mob. Like, really, every stud in Australia could give it, or the, or the youth, or the foundations. Like, it's, uh, they're great. We've got to keep our young people in it. I, I just, yeah, winning that was very good, but it's a team effort at home too. It's not just me. I, I might be the front person for it, but Brody and Maria and, and the family, like, they they support this 100%. Like, uh, we'll keep doing this forever if we're allowed to. So while I'm around, it'll happen. Moving on from that, so you've recently began a term on the Angus Australia Board of Directors. Why did you put your hand up for the board and what would you like to contribute during your term? Wow. Sometimes I wonder why did I put this hand up for the board when, <laughs> when um, I get the, the minutes of the, bo- uh, the board meeting and it's 209 pages long and I've, I've got to study it. Like I think, wow, why did I do this? And then 
I get up here and the people that you're with are just great people and, and Scott and, and Catherine, just fantastic. They've made it easier on me because a lot of stuff, you know, I, I didn't know much about, but they, they're helping me all the time. Why did I do it? Brad Gilmore had a fair bit to do with it. He said, you need to do this. And my dad was actually a board director too, which is... Yes. I thought, well, that's that's not a bad tradition to keep going on. And they've given me so much over the years, the Angus cattle, and, and I figure, well, why not give a bit back to become a, a director? And, and I haven't got any massive issues to grind or anything like that. I think you can't come into a board with, a, with an axe to grind because... I just know boards just don't work like the way you said. So you, you sit back and listen and, 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 and contribute what, 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 you, what you know about and, and you're good at. Yeah, I, I'm getting used to it now. This is my second board meeting here now and, yeah, I, I'm growing. it's grown on me. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> so what do you think the biggest challenges for our industry will be in the next, say, five years? Oh, methane. I, it's very topical, isn't I, it? I, it's topical, but oh, I can see. Oh, I don't know where it's going to go, and I and I probably don't know enough about it to comment. But this, it's it's going to be a real issue, and I, I think we've just got to get on top of it. And it's in through Europe at the moment, so there's obviously a lot of stuff out there we can learn by. And yeah, but it's, it's, it's that that's probably going to be the big one. I think. Yeah. I guess in the flip side of that then, so what do you think Angus producers and the cattle industry's biggest opportunities will be during that time as well? It's going to take, who's it going to, maybe it's our breed, maybe it's us that we've got to get on top of this before everyone else does. Yeah. And I think this is where the Angus breed's probably been good at. You know, we've been getting on top of things before everyone else has. And that's why we're the biggest breed because the industry has wanted all the things that the Angus board or the Angus, yeah, I suppose it is the board. When it comes back to it, it is the board. All those things that they've implemented over the years, yeah. this is well before me, um, have been in front of the pack. Now, maybe the Angus board need to get on top of this too, and which I think there's movement there already. So to get in front, just to keep in front of the pack. Yeah. yeah to keep in front of the pack because they're all chasing. Like the Sementals are coming hard, probably the... The Brangus sort of people up north here are, are, are really hard at the moment, though they're coming hard. The Wagyu things, you know, down south is huge still. It's still huge. So we, we're sort of in the middle of all those ones and we're the blend that they all want to use. Yeah. So we've got to keep our maternal traits spot on because they still use our cow, or the Wagyu people use our cows to breed their yeah. calves probably different up north here because they're using the angus bulls to go to the brahmin cows but yeah now we just got to be keeping keeping front now what that is well it's an ever-changing industry really yeah, isn't absolutely. it? absolutely yeah. yeah and that's why i think the methane thing is in so important we need to be on top of that so because it's going to happen yeah and we need to be there ready for it when it does and for someone like yourself who has a long long history with the angus breed and your family's had a long history with the angus breed what do you think are some of the key achievements of Angus producers over the history of the breed? Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> Just a quick, simple the question. key achievements. Growing membership and growing, which is registrations, I suppose. But that's only happened because the people we've had in the industry growing the breed. 
Now, early on, the marbling thing through the Japanese market, then the export markets to China and Russia and uh, wanted Angus cattle. Clean Aussie beef that ticks all those boxes, marbling, EMA, structural correctness. And I think that's been pushed early on from this Angus board and the markets they've created overseas. And I think that's probably don't get enough credit for what they've actually done. It's massive. Massive. Some more than others, I suppose. The early boards, um, you know, that Japanese market, that Japanese marbling market where they are often early on when the Herefords were running right, they offered 10 cents a kilo. I remember 10 cents a kilo extra for Angus because they were marbling in the feedlots in Japan. Wow. What yeah. a way to get, what a way to put people to change breeds. And all of a sudden, it started. And you now it's just grown and grown and grown from yeah. there on. And you know, you find even today, you still see those black baldy cows where those massive big Hereford places haven't sold the cows. They have just started using Angus bulls yeah. to change over because it's a lot cheaper doing it that way. And, and you know, we've not me, not well, the Angus people have changed Australia like it you know and and I think the board just needs to get a big pat in the back because uh, they've done a great job yes just to finish off I've got a few quick fire questions here for you okay. starting with what is the best part about being involved in the agricultural industry people the people you meet just uh, the outdoor living your own time yeah it's your own time yeah do what you have to what is the best part of being involved in the Angus breed? Easy care cattle. Just simple as that. Perfect. What is the best advice you have ever been given in regards to your career? Oh, wow. Um, there's two there. One is one I said before, just breed females and the bull just happens. And if you can't afford fertiliser this year, put double on because next year you'll be able to afford it. Good advice. What advice would you give someone pursuing a career in agriculture? Go for it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it or it can't happen because I can tell you now it can happen. If you're willing to work hard and you need a, need some help, everyone needs help. You get someone to back you or, or whatever, it can be done. It really can be done. Like you can have a lot of a lot of manager's jobs going out there at the moment. You don't have to own a farm. You can be, become a manager and, and run a farm and you don't know where that lands. You don't know where that ends. All of a sudden you can buy 100 acres next door and you can... And all of a sudden that leads to 500 acres. You just, yeah. Don't, don't let anyone tell you you can't become in, good at agriculture or be in agriculture because there's so many opportunities, so many jobs out there with good people. Who has been the biggest supporter or mentor over the course of your career? Oh, my wife's been my biggest supporter by, by a mile. And, and the things I do, the things I've, the things we've done. I even bought a farm one day when she was at school and, and uh, she got home that day and I said, I bought a farm. And she just shook her head at me and, and you can imagine. But that was all <laughs> she done, fully supported me. Mentor, my dad probably, I suppose. No, and, and mum. Mum's been passed about, I don't know, 15 years now, I suppose. But she was incredibly supportive to me. And um, I know when I judged my first show at Right Bendigo show when I was 16, I was judging pigs. And um, 
she was all over it. Like she just supported me one hundred percent. Yeah, amazing, amazing woman. Yeah, my mum and dad have been fantastic. Yeah. And what motivates you to get up in the morning and go to work? Maybe because I'm not a good sleeper nowadays. Like. <laughs> having the dairy will do that yeah, to a person. Yeah, no, having the dairy, you, you just get up and daylight and, and, and I just go, I'll make myself a cup of tea and, and just head off and you can go check stock or do irrigation or whatever type thing and check the boys down at the dairy because I don't milk a lot now, only on weekends now when they, they want to play sport. Yeah, no, I can't, yeah, I can't. I love to sit down and watch a movie, but you can't stay inside too long. It just... Drives you nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to... Maria often says to me, why can't you do some work in the garden? Well, that's not farming. I, you know, that's... <laughs> it's a different kind of stuff it's I a, like to... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's a different kind of shovel work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And finally, our final question is, how do you have your steak? Medium. Perfect. Well... Thank you very much for joining us, Pete, for the podcast. I hope it wasn't too... No, it was off the cuff. I just arrived and you just said, <laughs> yeah. well, how about we do this? I said, righto. So anyway, well, thanks so much. Well, I've actually enjoyed it. Oh, Bring good. Back a lot of memories and, yeah. and a lot of different things. And yeah. Well, I've definitely learned a lot, so I appreciate you joining me. And if anybody wants to find where you are, Facebook, I yeah, believe. Yeah, Facebook, Merrydale Facebook page or just on our website, yeah, no, it's uh, it's all out there. You know how to do it. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you again. All right. Thank you. Bye. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks again to Peter for joining us for this episode of Behind the Beef and to all of our listeners for tuning in. I would just like to note that since this podcast was recorded, the 2024 Marydale Aspiring Breeder Award was awarded at the recent NH Foods Angus Youth National Roundup held in Tamworth in January, with Tasmanian Thomas Phoebe selected as this year's recipient. Once again, we thank the Collins family for their ongoing contributions to the Angus Youth Program. A reminder to listeners who are heading to Beef 2024 that tickets are currently on sale for the Angus Australia Seminar, being held Tuesday, May 7th at the Beef Australia event in Rockhampton. Angus for Every System, breeding for profitability in Northern Australia, will take a deep dive into large-scale operations, seeking out Angus genetics to complement their breeding operations and drive further genetic improvement, marketability and profitability and how Angus genetics are being utilised across these operations in traditional boss indicus areas, as well as focusing on how the use of Angus genetics in these operations is improving productivity and profitability. Joining the seminar will be Ben Noller from Palgrove Pastoral, Troy Setter from Consolidated Pastoral Company, and Ian McLean from Bush Agribusiness. For further information about the Angus for Every System Breeding for Profitability in Northern Australia seminar, or to purchase tickets, please visit the Angus Australia website. And that's all we have time for. As always, make sure you follow and subscribe to Behind the Beef and leave a five-star rating or review and follow and like Angus Australia and Angus Youth Australia on Facebook, X, Instagram and LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll catch you on the next one.